This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. There once was a church split. Churches do that from time to time. There's a theological difference, maybe a pastor gets fired or leaves or wants to try something new. We're human. We argue, we're opinionated. Once I visited a church where a painful disagreement broke out over what color the towels should be in the kitchen. This one was different. It wasn't over minor doctrinal matters. Really, it's hard to imagine a more crucial issue. The tipping point had to do with money. Who got it and who didn't? You see, the missionary board in Boston was in charge of who got financing for missions and who didn't. These were Baptists, and sharing the gospel was in their blood. But Boston didn't want to send just anybody. Missionaries are supposed to represent Jesus wherever they go. If they aren't morally upright, if they don't live out the gospel in their own lives, they'll do more harm than good. And Boston wasn't having it. They didn't want their missionary money going just anywhere. So the church split, largely over whether or not some of their members could become missionaries. It was 1845, 16 years before the Civil War. The denomination split before the country would, birthing the Southern Baptist Convention, all because Boston wouldn't send missionaries who owned other people. You're listening to the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the church. I'm Chris Starin. This is Truce. The Southern Baptist Convention was founded in part because Boston didn't want to send slaveholders as missionaries. That's about as dark a legacy as you can get. But if you look into the history of any people group that's been around for a hundred years or more, you're bound to find some troubling information. Yet we as Christians believe in forgiveness, in sanctification. People change by the grace of God. So how do we go about forgiving an entire organization for its past sins? According to the Handbook of Denominations, in 1845, 130,000 members of the Southern Baptist Convention were black before the Civil War. By 1890, though, there were none, not one. Of the 1,235,908 members, all were white. It took a long time to bring diversity back to the ranks, but in 1988, black membership was up to an estimated 300,000 members, when just 100 years earlier, there hadn't been any. In 1995, the Southern Baptist Convention, the SBC, formally apologized for its dark past. Here are excerpts from that resolution. Therefore, be it resolved that we, the messengers of the sesquicentennial meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention, assembled in Atlanta, Georgia, June 20th to 22nd, 1995, unwaveringly denounce racism in all its forms as deplorable sin, and be it further resolved that we affirm the Bible's teaching that every human life is sacred and is of equal and immeasurable worth 
made in God's image regardless of race or ethnicity, Genesis 1.27, and that with respect to salvation through Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3.28. And be it further resolved that we lament and repudiate historic acts of evil, such as slavery, from which we continue to reap a bitter harvest, and we recognize that the racism which yet plagues our culture today is inextricably tied to the past. This proclamation was a big step for the Southern Baptist Convention, publicly confessing sin and asking for forgiveness. Of course, reconciliation is not a one-step process, especially as society changes. We're now in a moment where a lot of people are concerned about the resurgence of white nationalism. So in 2017, Pastor Dwight McKissick, an African-American pastor, tried to pass a resolution that condemned white nationalism and the curse of hell. how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now, we did an entire story about the curse of Ham in season one, but in brief, there was a storm. Noah and his family are the only people to survive the Great Flood. So each of Noah's kids will spread out and populate the entire world. Now think of that. From this one family comes every race in the entire world. Noah gets angry at his sons and places a curse on one of his descendants. They, the whole nation formed by this guy, would be the servants of their family. Some would say <clears throat> they'd be slaves. Now here's the weird thing. He didn't curse his son Ham. Now Ham became the African people. No, he didn't curse Africa. The curse skipped over Ham and to Noah's grandson, Canaan, who settled in what would become Israel, not Africa. And the curse was carried out in the book of Joshua. So, end of story, right? Except that, completely out of context, this idea was taught by some people as justification for enslaving the African people. Because according to the book of Genesis, the people were cursed by Noah. Except they weren't. The Canaanites were. Now, back to modern day and Pastor McKissick's proclamation. I'm asking that the Southern Baptist Convention would go on record to abate darkness. And that proclamation never made it out of committee. It became a huge news story. The Southern Baptist Convention is racist. They released a proclamation denouncing white nationalism, but left out any mention of the curse of Ham. And the following year has not been a good one for the Southern Baptist Convention. Paige Patterson, the president of the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, was criticized for comments he made about abused women and eventually fired. And now, Pastor McKissick and a few other pastors have a proclamation before the committee. This one is specifically aimed at the curse of Ham. We'll have our interview with Pastor McKissick right after this message. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. 
our first mini-series, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Hi, this is Chris. At this point, right here, is when the audience is engaged in listening. This could be where we talk about your product or your ministry. I need your help to take this show full-time. Uh, if you'd like to advertise on Truce, please send me an email at trucepodcast at yahoo.com. In the meantime, check out my novel, Cradle Robber. It's a time travel thriller that also makes you think. You can find it on your favorite ebook platform or at trucepodcast.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, welcome back. I recently spoke with Pastor Dwight McKissick in preparation for the June 12th and 13th meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention in Dallas, Texas. I've been pastor of the Cornerstone Baptist Church in Arlington from 1983. If the Lord says the same, October this year will be 35 years. We were church plant of the Taste Spring Baptist Church, Baptist General Convention of Texas, and the Southern Baptist convention. We've remained a part of the convention throughout these 35 years and uh, just watch God start us in a garage with uh, my wife and I and kids. And uh, we average about a thousand worshipers on Sunday morning now. So uh, last year in June of 2017, you presented a resolution to condemn the alt-right. Can you give me an idea of what prompted you to do that? Sure. The Alt-right was a growing uh, cultural, political movement in America with some very clear views about race and um, and probably impacted a presidential election. Uh, I was not alarmed or surprised that this group emerged, was not surprised that they had racist views and they also got some very sexist views. Um, I was not surprised that they interfaced and impacted the outcome of the election. What shocked me was to discover prior to the convention last June in Phoenix that there were persons on the internet tweeting and Facebook and all that stuff, identifying themselves as Southern Baptist and alt-right. And most of them would use uh, eponymous names or you know false names. You, you couldn't identify them exactly. Some of them you could. But the thought hit me sitting at my desk one day because some of them were quite articulate, quite intelligent, what if this is a seminary professor? What if this one of the presidents of the state convention or the uh, national convention? What if they're writing Sunday school books in Nashville? I mean, you don't, since they're just Southern Baptists, you don't know who they are. Some of them were very, had a high theological acumen. Um, it, it just hit me. We, we don't know who these folks are, but yet they're in our convention. So that 
was the impetus for me to research more about them and to write a resolution that, that I hope would pass, assume they would pass, making it very clear that Southern Baptists did not embrace it anyway, did not affirm, did not want to identify with uh, the outright. Uh, one interesting part of that resolution was it mentioned the curse of Ham, which is something a lot of my listeners had never heard before I brought it up on the podcast. Uh, why specifically call out the curse of Ham? Well, in my judgment, then and now, the foundation, the base of white supremacy is the curse of Ham. Uh, Noah cursed Ham, they say, which he did not curse Canaan, Ham's son. But black people color came from the curse, and they were signed to slavery or servitude to the white uh, races. That was taught in systemically in the South among church folk. And um, I think it, it provided a theological license for outright to feel okay for them to separate from the races, feel superior to other races. Um, and so it was important to me, as, as John the Baptist said, you have to lay the ax at the root of the tree. We're going to deal with the outright. We have to deal with the root. And the root of this is the curse of ham white supremacy theory and black servanthood servitile spirit and that's why it was included in the resolution but for reasons unknown to me the resolutions committee it that part was even left out the final draft that was approved i mean you've had a whole year since then uh, has anything changed have there has there been any uh what what has been in the general sense you've been getting well uh, the, the change has been it, it, it provided the leverage for those of us who wanted to challenge uh, Southern Baptists who were alt-right or challenge the alt-right period. We could say our, our convention has voted. The mindset of our convention is the alt-right is racist and evil, not good for America, not good for race relations, not good for the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, and therefore, we could say to persons who were Southern Baptists and outright, you're on the wrong side of God, on the wrong side of Scripture, on the wrong side of history. You need to rethink and repent. You're out, out of touch with your convention. That was probably the biggest uh, benefit. And it gained, and with another group of people, though, I think it did gain Southern Baptists a lot of respect who thought, who assumed that they would never passed such a resolution. Now, I assume they would because I know Southern Baptists and one of them. But there are people on the outside who had just written Southern Baptists off as racist. They said, aha, it was like a epiphany for them that the Southern Baptists would even condemn all right. So I think it had a mixed blessing in that sense. And uh, you're part of a new resolution called On Racial Unity Among Southern Baptists that does bring up the curse of Ham again and try to condemn that specifically. Uh, what was the impetus behind that resolution and uh, how is it going so far? Well, you don't know until the convention floor and you discover whatever morning the resolution report is made, whether or not the resolution made it out of the con uh, the committee. Uh, obviously, I'm hoping and encouraged that it would it would pass, but I don't uh, I won't know. And it was co-authored four of us: Cameron Triggs, a young pastor out of Florida. Michael Turner, young pastor out of Georgia, Dan Aiken, uh, president of Southeastern Seminary, 
uh, and myself, the four of us uh, are the progenitors of this resolution, and uh, it, it it's mainly appealing to the committee to let's be unified and not uh, fragmented over issues of race, and it deals with some uh, foundational issues in Southern Baptist life that were, had never been dealt with before, such as um, the fact that when Southern Baptist formed by William B. Johnson, first president, he considered slavery a civil issue, civil matter, not an ecclesiastical or theological matter. Therefore, the Southern Baptist Convention didn't need to deal with it. Well, obviously, in the scripture he used was render the Caesar the things that are Caesar, that, that slavery is a political governmental issue. The church has no business even addressing this matter. Well, slavery is also a, very, a moral issue. It's a sin issue. It's an, it's an unjust issue. It's an equality issue. It's a, and so you just cannot relegate or delegate to the society to address slavery, not the church. So the resolution uh, goes back and, and points that out and, and repents of that. Um, and it addresses the curse's hand, which was kind of to the church itself. They said, okay, we're justified in doing this because God cursed black folks. But to the world, they says this is a governmental issue. And to other Baptists who were pleading with them, the Northern Baptists who would not agree, uh, that rationale was this is a civil issue, not an ecclesiastical issue. And therefore, we don't have to succumb to this whole notion that you can't be a missionary, uh, a Baptist missionary holding slaves. So the resolution addresses, laid acts at the root of the tree and goes back and uh, acknowledges and repents of all of that. You actually have one of your tweets that says, uh, a convention whose brand is inerrancy has never repented for the intentional errant use of scripture to theologically and morally justify slavery and segregation. Can you speak to that, that need to re repent for specifically misusing scripture? If our brand were known to be an errantist, how can we have these grave errors un repented of, unacknowledged, unaddressed in our history. Uh, just to interrupt really quickly, inerrancy is basically a theological idea that says that the Bible does not have any errors. So if the Southern Baptist Convention in the past had used the curse of Ham to justify slavery, it's then necessary to come forward and say, no, in fact, it doesn't. That this is not us saying that the Bible was an error, it's that we were in error. Okay, back to Pastor McKissick. And um, so this resolution will go back and address those issues for the sake of bringing us into unity, not for the sake of dividing us or pointing fingers at anybody, but you just can't ignore uh, unconfessed sin. All believers who've ever seen know what it's like to have unconfessed, uh, unforsaken, unforgiven sin in your life. It interferes with your prayer life. It interferes with relationships with other people. Um, it interferes with your sense of God's presence with you. So you, you go back and confess sins in order to have a clear conscience before God, right to be right with God. And that's what this is about. How can we be praying for the Southern Baptist Convention this year? Praying that prayer would be not just lip service, but reality in the life of this convention when we meet, and there, there will be effectual fervent prayers that avail much. They will be 
prayers birthed by God's Spirit, led by God's Spirit, anointed by God's Spirit, that says to the Lord what he once said to him in order for him to do toward us what he wants to do. Some argue that we don't need a preaching time at all at the convention. We just need prayer sessions. I don't know that I disagree with that, but that it will be a time where we all just fall on our faces before God. I, a spiritual revitalization where politics and other issues don't dominate this meeting, but it's just a, that it would be what recorded in Acts, a time of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. That's what we need. Pray for a time of refreshing in the presence of the Lord at the Southern Baptist Convention. Special thanks today to Pastor Dwight McKissick and everybody from his church in Arlington, Texas. You can find out more information about Truce, which is a listener-supported podcast, at trucepodcast.com. You can also find us on social media like Facebook and Twitter at at trucepodcast. Please tell your friends about the show because, honestly, we don't have much of a marketing budget and we really need your word-of-mouth help. Our logo was designed by Andy Huff, and God willing, we'll be back soon with some more stories. I'm Chris Starin. This is Truce.